banks don't fear Square, Stripe, and Shopify enough because they see that income flowing into their bank accounts. That's going to change one day. It's not going to flow into their bank accounts. It'll stay on those platforms. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello, I am James Robert Lay and welcome to the 158th episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. And today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Raj Bosker to the show. Raj is the co-founder and CEO at Hurdler, a smart mobile app for independent workers, freelancers and solopreneurs to seamlessly manage their business finances in seconds, not days, not hours, not even minutes. Seconds. In fact, Hurdler is a top 10 grossing financial app on Apple and Google with more than 8 billion in finances tracked and more than 300 million in taxes saved. And I'm excited about this conversation because it continues to echo the importance focused around creating value for small business, even smaller than that. We'll call them the solopreneur working in the gig economy, working in the freelancer economy, working in the creator economy, because it's in this sector, we will continue to see explosive growth that has been fueled and really accelerated by the COVID pandemic. So with that, welcome to the show, Raj. It is so good to have you on today. Hey, thanks for having me, James. Rob. A real pleasure to be on. Before we dive into what financial brands and fintechs can do to create value for the solopreneur, the creator economy, the freelancer economy, however you want to slice that, I, I want to hear what is good for you, what's going well personally, professionally. It's always your pick to get started. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, personally, personally and professionally for me are, are very well mixed. You know, those are those are my two big buckets in life. Everything's going well. We're we're healthy. We had a great Thanksgiving. We had our both sides of our family spend the night. So we I think we did like six meals together, all in the same household, multi generational. That was pretty cool because it's been a couple of years since we did that. And then you know professionally, uh, there's there's a lot. I think we're going to talk about uh, the growth of uh, folks. You know, ordinary people launching businesses from their homes. You know, massive. Massive, and it just grew even more through the pandemic. That happened in 2006, 2008 with the recessions. Yep. And so anytime these things are there, people, really people have the the need for multiple income streams, right? It's not necessarily out of, because I want, I'm just dying to start a business because they need the extra money. That's, that's where most of it starts. Yeah, I agree with you. And it creates a level of of some security because I've, I have those multiple income streams and that then translates into a level of increased confidence because when one income stream, you know, maybe it, it, it putters out, it dries up, well, then I got a couple of other things to fall back on. I mean, that in essence is what the gig economy is essentially all about, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and it's, at a lot of it, you know, in the past was glorified, uh, and even today they talk about flexibility. But if you if you look at the real 
need for flexibility. It's for the ability to earn income in in hours that you have available. Mm. Right. And so a lot of the folks in gig economy are still working full-time jobs and they need the flexibility to go on the clock at night so they can make money whenever they're free. Right. And and that's one of the things, let's start here. What, what have been the big trends that you have seen unfold over the last 18, 24 months when it comes to the gig economy, the freelancer economy, perhaps even the creator economy? Signal Fire reported that the creator economy now has over 50 million independent content creators, curators, and community builders, including social media influencers, bloggers, videographers, and Yahoo. An article from Yahoo noted that the creator economy accounts for a market totaling a more than $104 billion and is increasing daily globally. So what are you seeing through some of the research and trends the, on your side here? Yeah, so I think uh, number one is the number of uh, new business formations um, that occurred uh, during the pandemic. It was almost double uh, from the prior year. Mm. That's pretty significant. That's at a time when uh, publicly, like in the news, you, you hear about businesses shutting down, particularly restaurants and local shops. So I think I think that's a key thing. And then I think the second thing is uh, folks, what I'm seeing is people learning. I don't know if they know that it's leverage, but they're basically leveraging their time. Right. And I think, uh, you know, remote, uh, remote really uh, allowed that to happen. And I, I think everyone benefits from that. So I don't think that's uh, harming, like, let's say the company they work for, I think. I think uh, folks are much more productive now. Absolutely. And, and and so therefore, we have new income streams, new revenue streams as individuals beyond just the, the quote unquote company thinking about creating value for a solopreneur, someone working in the gig economy, the freelance economy, the creator economy. Where might there currently be gaps in a traditional financial brand, say a bank or a credit union? To, to serve and create value for these people here? Yeah, I think the way I look at it is that, you know, traditional banks are structured as consumer retail or business commercial. Very different. And sometimes business, yeah. And sometimes they talk about in business commercial, small business. But most of those small business uh, customers that banks want, you know, they want a minimum of, uh, you know, a million, million plus in revenue. That's kind of the bare minimum. Right. So, when you look at that, uh, those numbers, and then consumer retail, there's this huge gap. And if I'm a Shopify store seller selling goods out of my home, you know, do, where do I go? Do I go to commercial? Do I go to consumer? And really, really, I just need a little more horsepower from the consumer operation because I, I'm I'm not that million dollar, five million dollar seller that fits commercial. And and also, if you're a Shopify or digital seller, you don't really want to hang out inside of a branch. Correct. And I think it's interesting, too, to see what, like you mentioned Shopify, what they're doing. They're now offering, quote unquote, financial services, even lending products to uh, someone working in this solopreneur gig economy, creator economy, freelance economy. What's a commonly held belief that others in the industry, maybe it's an incumbent bank credit union leader, they think about this freelancer, solopreneur, creator uh, economy that you might just passionately disagree with? Where where might they be able to transform some of their thinking here? I think uh, I see a lot of them not necessarily believing that Shopify, Square, and Stripe are their competitors. Mm. A lot of them still see them as complementary, mm. perhaps uh, subconsciously. And why is that? That just doesn't make sense. 
why is that? Why do you think that is? I think they just view them as uh, as revenue generation platforms. Right. Right. You don't necessarily see that they're building out the rest of the stack. And a lot of that has kind of been done, quote unquote, behind the scenes. It's almost like the uh, ancient wisdom from Sun Tzu, know the enemy and know thyself. You need not fear the result of 100 battles. And so it's like we, 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 we kind of know what's going on on this other side of the coin, this other side of the equation. But until it has become almost full public square, right? Square and to see yeah. how they've continued yeah. to, to grow in this space, it was something that didn't happen overnight, but then when you're kind of heads down focused on serving a particular market segment and the world continues to evolve and, and, and transform around you, that's when you're like, oh, uh, I, I wasn't exactly 100% aware of this. Thinking about your own journey here of, of growth, of creating value for those working in the gig, the freelance, the creator economy, how has your model changed over time with the work that, that, that you're doing? Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, we started off uh, almost a decade ago um, as an API first company and, and these platforms didn't really, they weren't evolved enough to leverage our features. And so we were forced to build a retail app. We ended up doing very well for five, six years, even today. Uh, it's an excellent uh, proven app, excellent reviews. But then uh, over the last few years, we finally started getting organic lead for other platforms, fintechs, uh, even some banks, top five banks to use our features through our API as their own embedded in their offerings because they see this gap. And so we're seeing like now Hurdler has the ability to power some of these folks with our proven features and really, uh, really grow the impact that we wanted to have originally. I really appreciate this thinking, and it's one that I'm hopeful more and more continue to explore because it looks at the idea of collaboration over competition, that we can co-create value together, almost like a best of breed. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on this. If, if you could go back in your own mind, like you said, 10 years of, of focusing on creating value for gig freelance and, and, and creator economy workers, what's one thing that you would do differently knowing what you know now? You know, one side of me says that uh, maybe I should have, well, I didn't know this at the time, of course, but go first dive into retail rather than it being uh, something that I discovered that we overshot the moon um, so that we're there quicker. And uh, yeah, that that's one side. The other flip side that I ponder is, you know, should we have just continued doing API when there were no takers at the time? If you look at the evolution, a lot of times when trends start, it really takes 10 years for them to really hit. Yes, they do. Yes. They, and that, that's just a common thing. I mean, uh, web services back in the day, they used to talk about it in 2000 and they started getting really used in 2010. Mm -hmm. And so I'm seeing that here because there have been a few rounds of gig economy. Uh, when Uber and, and Lyft started, my company put out a blog post of the top 100 on-demand companies you know, almost uh, eight years ago. And at that time, there was on-demand for every single thing. Now there's five or six top platforms, right? It's, it's consolidated. Well, and, and think about that for a minute, because it's almost like a platform economy as well, because you, you've got like the Ubers and the Lyfts of the world, but then you layer on top of that food delivery, right? And grocery delivery and how it's almost you continuously are stacking other levels of service on top of this initial foundation here, you know, running a business is hard. It's even harder when you are a solo 
entrepreneur. I, I can think back to my early days, you know, being you know, 19, 20 years old, getting the, this off of the ground tw- 20 years ago. It was a different time period. Thinking about what you've learned here, what are some of the big pain points that you are hearing from those working in the gig, the freelance, the creator economies today? Yeah. Well, first is uh, knowing where they stand with their finances. Most most folks, independent folks, uh, everything's commingled. It's all over the place. Yep. Yeah. And that's part of that gap. Like banks don't fear Square, Stripe and Shopify enough because they see that income flowing into their bank accounts. Right. That's going to change one day. It's not going to flow into their bank accounts. It'll stay on those platforms. Correct. Uh, but basically connecting all these dots simply for these folks who are commingling, that's a big pain point. They don't, they don't actually know how much money they're making. They might see the income coming in, but as you know, income is not profit. Exactly. Exactly. And and I think that's where, you know, you look at solving people's big problems when you put their pain at the center of your thinking of your doing to create what I call prescriptions or cures, solutions, a, a path forward beyond the present moment to help others grow. In, in fact, there's a lot of, in my own mind, ancient stoic wisdom uh, that can guide some of this thinking. Seneca once said, you know, uh, he that does good to others does good for himself. And, and to me, that's where a lot of the opportunity is when it comes to thinking about creating value for gig, for freelance, for creator economies. What are some of the opportunities from your perspective for financial brands and maybe even fintechs to create value for people working in these different economies here? Yeah, I think it's uh, so there need to be more offerings that target these folks. Uh, they, first, they shouldn't have to make a a tough, it shouldn't be a tough decision to figure out where within a bank I'm supposed to go if if I'm a solopreneur or micro business owner. So that that's the first thing that should be simple. And then if you dive down deeper into that, it's uh, those pain points, it starts with uh, mapping all of their income, but then, you know, getting paid. And then the number two, a lot of the platforms are taking care of that very nicely, helping them earn revenue. But then the number two pain point is then tracking their expenses and then third is taxes. Yes. Right? And all of this is before they hire their first employee. Oh, taxes. You're, 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 you're giving me a little bit of PTSD here. Once yeah. again, going back 20 years. Because, yeah, one more month to relax. Right. <laughs> I, was a, I was a college student. You know, I was a sophomore in college and had some early success. And well, I thought you could make all the money and then you could spend all the money. I didn't know anything about this tax stuff and I'll never forget. And it was because I didn't, I just didn't know what I didn't know early on, probably the first two, three, four years of the business, kind of doing it on my own before I, I got some knowledge and wisdom and worked with an expert around this. I had like a six figure tax bill and it was, it was a bit stressful uh, to try to, you know, claw out of that. And it wasn't intentional. It was just, I didn't know what I didn't know. I think this is an important subject to really provide some education around back to your point, because if you think about a traditional financial brand, there have been historically either commercial focused or retail focused. This is kind of the, what I would call the messy middle, but When we look at other research, 50% of the U.S. workforce is projected to be part of this gig freelance creator economy by 2027. And so 
for the dear listener to provide a little bit of education, how might the needs of someone working in this new type of economy be different than that of, say, the traditional, quote unquote, small business owner? Where's the gap historically here? Yeah, I think uh, the number the first thing to understand is most of these folks, look, most of the folks didn't even know they're on the hook for taxes. And so they're, they're starting off tracking all of this stuff in their personal accounts. So yep. It's flowing through their consumer retail accounts. And so how do you uncommingle all of that? Uh, help them do that. My company specializes in that. We've, we have a lot of data around that, but that's the first thing is not mixing all this stuff together. And so really just uh, helping them see that. And that's really the starting point, I think. This, this would have saved me so much <laughs> heartache and time. Digital growth is a journey from good to great, but sometimes this journey can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. The good news is you don't have to take this journey alone because now you can join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs who are all learning, collaborating, and growing together. Visit digitalgrowth.com insider to learn more about how you can join the Digital Growth Insider community to maximize your future digital growth potential. Now, back to the show. I'm telling you, if, if we could go back, uh, I asked you the question, like, what would you do different? This is something that I would do different starting this up. And fortunately, you know, it's been 20 years and it's been a lot of fun and I've got a lot of great people now supporting this this journey and really this, this bigger purpose of getting a billion people beyond financial stress towards a bigger, better, brighter future. And, and so collaboratively thinking here, what are the collaborative opportunities between, say, some of the work that you're doing? Maybe it's a fintech, maybe it's a financial brand, a bank or credit union. Where might those opportunities sit through your perspective? Sure. Uh, So I think, so if it's a fintech, uh, other platform targeting creator economy, even traditional banks, they have their primary offering. Might be account could be formation, forming a business, yep. uh, could be something around capital. Mm. And so they have their number one hook to acquire their customers. And what we're seeing is uh, organically, we're getting, these platforms are reaching out to our company, say, hey, our customers are actually requesting these features that you provide in your API. Let's add this into, into their platforms under their brand. It's seamless. It's their stuff to help retain their customers because they're bringing them through now, after you acquire the customer, how do you hold on to them for the rest of life? Just like a traditional bank. Yeah, I have my bank account, my personal bank account from like when I was a teenager. Yep. And it's gone through three or four acquisitions and it's still there because that's where all my money goes into. So how do you just more value there? So I don't need to leave and find something else. That's a great point. It's continued value creation. It's going in and and I would even say some of the conversations that I've recently had, like doing a listening tour of sorts, listening, just asking questions would be a, a, another good place to start. I, I want to look ahead towards the future here for a moment. Like I said, you know, 2027, it's projected that 50% of the U.S. workforce is going to be a part of this independent contractor, freelancer, solopreneur, creator creator economy. What are you most hopeful about in this new type of a model when, when you when you look ahead towards the future? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So a lot of those stats were put out, you know, a handful of years ago. And I would say that that did not predict a, a pandemic. 
Right. Uh, and, and what we're seeing in the pandemic, I think it's accelerating getting folks to that point. But probably there's a case to be made that it'll exceed that because those studies didn't take into account the pandemic. And in the pandemic, people are moving all about and, and they're on video and they can really leverage their time. And I, I see a lot of professionals doing arbitrage, like working in the, you know, they moved out of major cities into the Midwest, but they're still you know, getting compensated at the major city rates, um, which is, I think that's good. And I think over time it balances out. Sure. So I think it's, uh, I think it's that everybody, there's no reason why everyone should not have independent income. If you th- think of a normal, just a normal consumer, a lot of folks aspire to own a rental property. Yes. Right. They're not necessarily considered part of the creator economy, but that's independent income. Absolutely. Right? That's an additional income stream. So everyone should have independent income, even if it's investment related, uh, it's needed. We know that X percentage of the country doesn't have any investments. So th- this is what brings everybody up. And when you do that, I think uh, this stuff needs to be part of our education, you know, latest high school. They teach us things in high school that we don't necessarily use right now. I think finance, they need to do more financial education in high school. So people are better off because you're going to have folks, more folks doing vocational things, um, not necessarily being able to commit to the four-year investment of a traditional college or university. And there's so many successful people now online that you know, are, are, are passing on that because it creates so much burden. So I think this really lifts everyone up. You know, I, I can't help but think uh, going back to episode 135 with Scott Donnell, uh, who's the founder of Gravy Stack, really talking about this idea of building this into the curriculum, not just financial education or financial literacy, but I'd even take it a step further and add entrepreneur entrepreneurism yeah, into this definitely. type of thinking, because for me, I... I remember being in an executive coaching program, strategic coach, Dan Sullivan. He's been a guest on here a couple of times. He's been coaching entrepreneurs for 40 years. And one of the very first things that I did after my first uh, session was go to my kid's school and volunteer as what is known as a watchdog, dads of great students. And then I got in, I started talking to the counselor. They had a career day. And they would always have, for example, you know, someone from the fire department, the police department come, they'd have a teacher, they'd have someone from the bank come, they'd, but they never had an entrepreneur there. And so I was able to go in and, and, and did this for a good three or four years before the pandemic. And I'm looking forward to getting back into it again, because I would ask the kids like, do you know Jay-Z? Do you know uh, like LeBron James? And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I'm like, what about like Elon Musk? You know, do you, you know, all of these other entrepreneurs and they're like, no. And so I'm like, you have a much better chance of quote unquote, making it big through an entrepreneurial path than say going to play in the NBA or, you know, but now creator economy, you can build your own audience too. And that's a whole different type of a perspective. So because this is such a broad market, you talk, talk Shopify, we've, we've talked influencer, where might there be opportunities to focus on niches? Because if you kind of take a broad path, I'm a big believer. If you can focus and carve out a specific niche, you build expertise around a specific niche, you empower a specific niche. Where might there be some sub segments of the gig freelancer creator economies financial brands could be thinking about here? 
Uh, the, yeah, I mean, there's so many, um, and th- that's why you know that's part of our, you know, why our strategy is uh, transitioning back to API first because it's fragmented. It's so fragmented, and there isn't. It's not a winner takes all. It's a. It's like you talk about the collaborative approach. Uh, that's. It's really. It's not like one winner is going to capture the entire country. No. Right? We have to. We have to partner together to help folks. Uh, you know, they talk about and being meet them, meet the customer where they're at. So there's there's some pretty interesting like uh you know nerve nerve.pro doing uh banking niche banking for musicians. musicians. Yep. Yeah, I mean really awesome stuff uh that 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 uh that those guys are doing. That's one that comes to mind. Um there's uh one of our clients is Bonsai, they focus on photographers um and other creative professionals. And there's a there's a bunch of you know, there are some new uh you know, new fintechs that are focused on you know, the, the freelancer segment, but everyone still, if you, if you, if they allow you to dive deeper, they're focused on certain niches. So you, even though you have shop, the Shopify's of the world, you actually have some of these other platforms who are targeting Shopify sellers or the Stripe e-commerce entrepreneurs. But I, I think musicians, photographers are pretty good niches. I think, I think what you, if you're, a, if you're a bank or a fintech, um, I think first you want to figure out what income level uh, you're really looking to support. Right. Because I think your all your economics of your business kind of are going to, they're going to coalesce around that. Uh, and so I think like when you're talking about gig economy, gig economy folks, typically people are referring to Uber drivers and the like, and uh, that income level or income earned from those platforms is a lower level than creative professionals. Mm. Uh, so I think it also, it depends on, you know, the product offering you're looking at. You know, one of the things uh, I also was thinking about as you're going through is Studio Bank out of Nashville. Uh, they're a niche bank for the creative economy where brick and mortar uh, combines seamlessly with a great digital experience. So I, I'm, I'm so fascinated with a lot of the opportunities here. On the flip side of the equation, I'm listening to this. I'm a financial brand leader. Maybe I'm in fintech. What are some of the roadblocks, the challenges that could hold me back from moving forward and creating value for people in the gig freelance creator economy? Hmm. I think I think the number one thing is uh, not really understanding their needs. You know, most of the folks in the gig economy, the traditional gig economy, the Uber drivers of the world, they need the additional income. I think that's the first thing to recognize versus you know, long, you know, years ago, they put out that story about the six figure Uber driver in the Wall Street Journal. And that's not the norm. People go to Uber to make additional money uh, because they need the money. I've only once met someone, uh, you know, when riding um, that was doing it specifically to save up for an additional vacation. That, that was pretty rare. And that was a husband and wife team. Yeah. And I, I think you, you mentioned Uber. I'm thinking about Lyft too, because I know Lyft, for example, is building financial services into their offering. They have rewards, getting cash back on gas, on dining, yeah. getting paid faster, integrating into other areas of life. So that's just something else to consider and, and, and th- yeah. think about here. 
I want to get real practical as, as we start to wrap up because there's so much opportunity to create, to capture, to collaborate around. It can feel a little bit overwhelming. And I'm a big believer that all growth, all transformation begins with a very small, simple step forward, something practical. What would be the next best step for someone who is listening to move forward with courage, to move forward with confidence, to create value for those working as a solopreneur in the gig freelancer creator economy? What would that be? Yeah, I think it's uh, very simple. I think it's, uh, if you if you agree, uh, it's hard not to agree with the growth. I mean, all the numbers are there. Then you just have to create a simple offering to help these folks see their, what I'll call their business finances in quotes within their consumer retail account. It's very simple. So just pulling out those numbers and, and, and displaying it for them so they don't have to go through every single transaction on their own. That's a great, you know, and, and it's about simplification. It's also about providing clarity as well. And through that clarity, it's going to help to build their confidence. I think another opportunity too, is, is you're sharing that, is there's a community aspect and element that could be baked into this to almost play the role of a facilitator, bringing together a niche, whatever it might be, a subset, and then facilitating other types of content events that that really empower them to to do more around whatever it is that that they're doing here. W- what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think that's important, uh, and that can include education as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, especially for local like local institutions. Uh, that's a that's a main draw. Yes, yes. When you look at the collaboration opportunities, what's the best way for someone to reach out, say hello to you, continue the conversation, maybe even collaborate with you? Because it's been a great conversation with you today, Raj. Yeah, I appreciate it, James Robert. I'd say uh, best way to reach me is, uh, is to email me. Uh, it's just raj at hurdler.com or hurdlr.com. Happy to help out um, in any way that we can. And I'm pretty good about it. if 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 we can't, uh, I'll try to point 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 them in the right direction or make an intro uh, to uh, some other partners that that would be good fits for them. Th- this opportunity is huge. The impact can be even bigger, right? So um, it, it's going to require a lot of a lot of companies uh, to work together to really help everybody. It definitely will, and and I appreciate that because it's about it's just about we're all working. A rising tide lifts all boats in the bay, and and I appreciate the knowledge, the insight, the passion that you've shared here today, Raj. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. Thanks for having me. A real pleasure. Until next time, and as always, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.